This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Bartholomew. From our Providence, Rhode Island studios, I sit down with political scientist and media personality, Dr. Maureen Moakley. Maureen Moakley is a professor emeritus of political science and was the longtime chairperson of the University of Rhode Island's political science department. She is widely considered to be a leading figure when it comes to Rhode Island politics, appearing on television, radio, and in print regularly. We had a lot of fun digging into the gubernatorial election, House District 15, home of Speaker Nicholas Mattiello, and the media covering the election this year. Speaking of which, make sure you're subscribed to the Bartholomew Town Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume content. You may always find every episode at BartholomewTown.com or RIPodcast.com. And yeah, I've been getting some great feedback from uh, people asking what they can do to help the Bartholomew Town Podcast grow. Well, the best thing you can do is if you're enjoying what we're doing over here, tell other people about it and share some episodes on social media. Um, That's really what... We're after right now is getting the word out uh, at a grassroots level. Um, so appreciate the feedback we've been getting. It it really has been awesome to uh, hear from uh, the listeners. A lot of fun. Um, if you have feedback, feel free to send it my way. It's bill at BartholomewTown.com. Love to hear from you. Um, this has been a great adventure so far and can't wait to see where it's going to go. And it's, uh, you know, it's a two-way street. You're out there consuming this. We want to hear from you as well. Um, Let's get right to why you came here, University of Rhode Island political science professor emeritus, and hey, my old professor when I attended URI. Look out, Dr. Maureen Moakley. We are in the meat of election season. Um, new poll that was just released suggests that the governor has expanded her lead. She now has a 14-point lead according to the latest Rhode Island Public Radio, Providence Journal, ABC6 poll. Uh, Joe Trillo at 5% may or may not be a factor in whether or not Alan Fung is able to catch her. What are your thoughts on that poll? Well, um, I expected the governor to pull away. Uh, I frankly think she's um, walked a very good line in the sense that while she's got strong support from women and she's been very progressive on women's issues, she's also been really good in terms of business um, acumen and bringing along the business community. Now, she's criticized because of corporate welfare, but the reality is that they do it in Boston, they do it in New York, and they do it in Connecticut, and you're not going to rebuild the economy unless you get some large anchors to come, political politically speaking. And then um, with that, you get the proliferation of small business. And she's also done some pretty good things about retraining workers. So she's walked a good middle line. And um, so I'm not surprised that she pulled away. Having said that, I would amend uh, the idea that Joe Trollo is not going to be a factor. One of the problems, uh, not the problems, one of the issues of timing is the last poll was taken over a 10-day period, and it did not capture, um, I think, um, Trillo's performance in the last debate. And although I don't think he's going to soar, and I don't think he's going to be serious competition as far as Gina Raimondo is concerned, I think he has a pretty good constituency of people that his sort of uh, tell-it-as-it-is style appeals to. Um, He certainly, even though uh, 
he's only obliquely referred to the Trump campaign. He does acknowledge he was, in fact, uh, the chair of the Trump campaign in the last election here in Rhode Island. And we have to realize that there are a significant amount of Trump supporters in this state. They register around 30, 35 percent. That's a lot of voters. And usually those type of voters are motivated. So I think what you will see is I think you'll see uh, in the next poll um, at least uh, something of a um, extension of Trump of, of Trillo's influence. That is, I think that he he will show up as more of a factor. Now, the factor that he's going to be is he's going to take votes away from Thung. And so I think in that regard, um, he will be a factor. But I think, uh, unfortunately, for candidate Fung, I think the data suggest that um, the voters that might have supported Fung will, in fact, um, you know, the, the voters that might have supported Fung would be drawn to Trillo. And I think as a result of that, uh, they're both not going to prevail. Right. And it seemed at that uh, last debate, the WPRI, Roger Williams University debate, Mayor Fung wearing a purple tie, unwilling to answer questions about his positions on abortion, unwilling to answer whether or not he would today wear a Donald Trump hat instead given this bizarre answer about the vendor who sold him the hat. So it's almost as if they're conscious of this, that Joe Trillo will vastly more appeal, is vastly more appealing to the 180,000 people who voted for Donald Trump than Alan Fung is. Now Alan Fung's trying to find some sort of middle ground to work and appeal to women voters. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think he's he's got a real problem in that he doesn't come across as a particularly forceful individual. And his uh, kind of um, obliqueness when it comes to some of his answers, some of it is understandable. I mean, I think in the terms of abortion, I think he gave a fair assessment in the sense that I think it's fair to say for some people, they support the support the law. Uh, they support Roe versus Wade. They are pro choice, but they have some reservations. I think that's a legitimate thing. Mm -hmm. But the whole idea of waffling on his support for Trump, he surely could have given a better answer. He surely could have said something like, at the time, I was, I'm a Republican, he was the nominee, and I supported him. Now, you know, two years later, I'm having second thoughts. And like Trillo, who was wise enough to say, I'm not talking about Trump. He got himself embroiled in this when he really should have been more forceful, I think, and just cut it off, cut off the discussion. I, I agree completely. There was a point in February where Joe Trillo was calling. He literally made a, a phone call to uh, one of the radio stations here describing uh, the Rhode Island should not accept anyone from poverty countries, as he called it, and sort of went on this rant. And, and it seemed like he was dead in the water at that point. He was going all in on the Trump machine, all in on the rhetoric. And ever since that point in time, he has slowly walked it back to the point where now he's he's only saying, well, I agree with some of his policies. Well, I think it's, I, I mean, the thing is, you can't help it. He's like a bear. He's sort of likable if you weigh. I mean, I don't <laughs> think he's going to be the governor. But the fact is that um, he has developed a more moderate style. I've interviewed him over the years. He's been on The Lively Experiment. And he's always fun and he's always good for a laugh. And he's a good soul, basically. Um, but I, I, I marvel at the fact that given his predispositions, that he has been able to come across much more moderate. He's kept the edge where he says, I'm going to fight for you and that kind of thing. And I think that's going to be appealing. So again, um, I don't think either of them are going to prevail. But I think 
Joe Trillo is going to pick up recognition and subsequently votes in the in the election. Right. He told me recently that uh, he rejects the Fleming poll. I would assume he rejects the numbers on the latest poll as well because of his own experiences in the field, just people coming up to him and, and giving him support. I mean, that's not much of a metric when you're thinking about a statewide race. But at the same time, you wonder if there is this cult of Trillo supporters out there. Look, I think it's, as I said, I think um, I think I have great respect for Joe Fleming, and I think he caught, you know, the, the, the mood of the electorate at that time correctly. I will say that I haven't heard him dispute this latest poll, but I would dispute the latest poll only in the sense that they weren't able to capture his appearance on the uh, you know, on television, on that debate, and he will. There'll be a subsequent debate, and I think, relatively speaking, he comes off pretty well. Right, he's relatively unknown in the you know in to the, the wheel one. of fortune. Right. War- and now workers. people know him, and I think there's a certain constituency out there that will support him more than the five percent. How about the other three candidates that are in this race? Doctor Luis Daniel Munoz, who has been in it for almost a year now, this race, and has really staked his campaign on health care and utilizing technologies of the future to develop you know, a new economy. Of course, Ann Armstrong, who is now facing life in prison after a 48-pound cannabis bust, and Bill Gilbert, who will be sitting here in just a few hours, uh, the moderate party candidate. Do they factor in at all in this Look, I don't think they factor in much. Um, I think you know we can talk about Armstrong, and that's sort of off the off the charts. Uh, I've never <laughs> understood uh, the fact that so many interested and knowledgeable people thought they could fly with a third party. It just never works here, and it only distracts from the two major parties. So, in that sense, I don't think um, I don't think they're going to be um, viable candidates. And I have, uh, you know, a, a counter um, sort of democratic view, if you will. In the next election, the moderate party candidate is going to be there. And as well as Joe Trillo. And although I believe that we should hear these voices, all right, um, you know, with four people in one hour, it kind of distracts. I mean, I understand why Channel 12 chose not to do that. And um, we'll see how this goes. Munez, Munez, I think, is a, a really credible, interesting, and articulate voice, particularly when it comes for health care, health care. What I do not understand is he has $1,000 in his campaign. He's well-connected with the Latino community who tend to be very active in a grassroots organization if they can be mobilized. And I fail to understand why they or he did not form some sort of a more cohesive effort to at least get his message out because I think he has something to say and I think he's articulate and intelligent. But, uh, you know, a campaign is a campaign. And if you want to play in this field, you have to start and operate a campaign and you've got to get supporters. Yeah. And do you think it? so you're saying that you're not you don't necessarily agree that Bill Gilbert should be on this next debate stage, especially if the other two aren't there? Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying that, look, I understand why he should be. He's a valid member of a valid recognized party. I just think it's unfortunate that at this point, um, you know, the voters, I guess it's okay the voters will get to hear what he has to say. But I think it's important as we go down the road and the election isn't that far away. 
Um, we have three candidates, and the you know the broader the spread. I mean, the one th- person who is sitting in the catbird seat is Gina Raimondo. Right. I mean, she just has <laughs> to stand there and smile and let them go at it. And she has a few you know good arguments to make. But uh, I don't want to say this, uh, you know. But it, this is going to be at the end. It seems to me something of a cakewalk for her. I mean, I think she's going to keep at it. It's interesting. I have students that are working on all the campaigns. I've given them the option of about five campaigns to work on. And I noticed the students that are working on her campaign, they're working very hard. And, you know, the the director says, we're not taking anything for granted. But I think let's face it, she's in a very good position. Yeah, they think they, uh, pardon me, the Democratic Governors Association dumped another million bucks or something into her account. Oh, no, she has, you know, she's got a lot of outside money, not not to the extent that it's portrayed that she's the victim or the, you know the, the the puppet of all these things, right. but I mean Alan Fung, there's been almost a million dollars, but the Republican Governors Association. So we have these outside forces; they're part of the political system, and she's the beneficiary of a lot of them because um, you know it's it's an interesting phenomena, but it happens in a lot of cases where sometimes governors are not as popular in state as they are nationally, and she definitely has a national profile. I am always amazed or amused is the better word about when people criticize her for that. Let's think about another governor. Let's think about Lincoln Almond or let's think about Don Kacheri. Forget 38 Studios. I think he was a competent governor. And if the Republican National Party wanted to put money into either of those races, we would all in Rhode Island be saying, well, isn't this great? We have someone that is be out of the, you know, less parochial and has a national reflection. But somehow or other, I think because she's a woman, there's kind of resentment. And I think that's unfortunate for the voters. But in the end, I think... Um, you can. She made. A, she spent a lot of money. She raised a lot of money. She's not taking campaign funds, but this is politics. She's able to do it, and um, I think she will prevail. The other big ticket uh, race is, of course, the uh, senatorial race. The the junior senator Sheldon Whitehouse. Um, it seemed like there might have been some beginnings of a challenge by uh, Judge Bob Flanders and during from the results of the Fleming poll that there might be some movement there. And then, of course, the Kavanaugh hearings took place. So now Sheldon Whitehouse has, for some, become more of a, of a, a progressive hero than ever before. And maybe for, for others, um, there's resentment. Do you think that that race is going to move at all? Or are we kind of at, at the end of that where it's just going to actually expand? The lead will expand for Whitehouse going Look, forward. I think... Um, Sheldon Whitehouse is popular. He's very popular with his base. He's got a lot of support. He's got a lot of support from women, which is kind of interesting, that gap there. Um, But the fact is that Bob Flanders is a very credible candidate. And I think he's doing pretty well. He started very late. He had no money to start up. He was late to the race. I always was curious about that. And yet, given his disadvantages, he doesn't have a lot of money. He doesn't have a lot of name recognition on a, in a campaign mode. He's a very articulate and very well uh, you know, experienced candidate and very credible. He started late. And so therefore, I think, you know, I think he's done well. He may do a little bit better. We'll see how the Kavanaugh hearings affect this in the sense that 
I think there's going to be some blowback even in Rhode Island about some of the histrionics of the Democrats when they were at the hearing. Not so much uh, White House, but nonetheless, um, that seems to be turning in a different direction. I think um, the Trump administration has made hay out of that to some extent to support their base. So I don't think Flanders is way off there. I do think that um, my take is he's out there now. He's making a name for himself. He's making connections, and that um, if we find out that he does lose this election, say he gets up to 40, 40, you know, 42 percent, we have not heard the end of Bob Flanders. For this sure, may right. be, a, you know, a, a, you know, a beginning of something else that's going on. That's interesting. A run for governor. Who knows what you're right about him starting late, though, because the you know, when you think back to April or something like that, you thought Barbie Nardarillo was going to be who exactly. was challenging. So White he House. started late. So he is getting his name out there. And as I say, in the next cycle, two years from now, it'll be interesting to see. Um, but I, I would be very surprised if we've heard the last of Bob Flanders, even if he loses this election. Hmm, very interesting. Um, how about District 15? Will Stephen Fries find the 86th vote to put him over the top this time? Beats me. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, the thing is, it's such a, a tight election. The stakes are, I mean, it's just a question of a few votes. Um, you know, I think this last... Um, Dust up with Trillo and Mattiello actually put Mattiello in a pretty good light. I think he was very gracious about it. I mean, it's the kind of thing that unless you are an insider's insider's insider, which I am not, it is an unpredictable race because, as we know, uh, the only that the form of really uh, intense ground game support in tight races in small districts comes from mail, mail ballots and those 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 operatives in other words not necessarily at the uh, you know at the polling place this may be the only place um not in America, but in a long time when after Election Day, uh, a candidate loses the race. This is Nick Mattiello and says, don't worry about it. I won because of the mail ballots. Yeah, we know we've got it. So <laughs> the point is that this is going to be one of those things that it's, it's going to be touch and go. He faces enormous difficulties, but I do think he's part of a, a, a deep establishment. And so my answer remains beats me. Don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it is a toss up for sure. And then if he is reelected, do you suspect he will be reinstalled as the speaker? Will he have the gavel in January or will there be a progressive the, upheaval? The thing is that um, it's going to be a very interesting question. The progressives are not going to make it. All right. In other words, were Mattiello to go down, uh, the progressives have made strides at the legislative level, as you know. But there's not enough of them. What we don't hear from is the vast majority of middle-of-the-road Democrats. If Mattiello goes down, my suspicion is Joe Shikarchi will be the Speaker of the is House. He deputies. He's the uh, yeah. He's the deputy yeah. speaker, and okay. he's a he's a really talented guy. He can keep his um, he can keep his uh, constituencies happy. He knows how to run a middle road. He's respected, uh, and so if Mattiello is defeated either at the ballot box or it would be very unusual, but it could be that he could be defeated. Uh, you know, I'm not so sure. That's more of a stretch. Um, I think Shikarchi is would be the next speaker. 
very interesting. Yeah, all remains to be seen, and mm-hmm. obviously that's the most powerful position in Rhode Island government. Well, you know, at least in terms of in front that the public sees, right? <laughs> right. Well, actually, it's the most powerful position that the public doesn't see. In other words, sure, the kind right. of the lever- dark rooms, the yeah. leverage that they have, and they've always had. And uh, one of the interesting things, I think, as a result of this, the, rep- the progressives may be emboldened in the legislature, particularly in the House, to really insist on some reforms in the sense of how the process operates, how bills get heard, when they get reported out. Um, most people don't like to hear the fact that the job of legislative committees in any legislature is to kill legislation. You cannot have, I hope I taught you that in 113, (laughs) you cannot have thousands of bills floating on the floor. Nonetheless, it's been used with a heavy hand, and I think you may see some internal reforms, no matter who is speaker. Right, that Brian Newberry op-ed in yesterday's Providence Journal sort of speaks to that, of just how can the restructuring of the General Assembly occur to make more things happen, basically. Right. I mean, on the, and when you get the Republicans and the and the progressives making an argument, I think you'll see some liberalization in terms of the power of the speaker vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis the members of the um, of, of the assembly or of the body. Last few questions: Do the Republicans have a shot in the next few years in the state of Rhode Island of gaining any kind of momentum? Obviously, the fracturing of the party with the Trillo. Um, Morgan Alliance, the Dream Team, which isn't exclusive to Trillo as far as Ken Block is concerned and so forth. But is there going to be, just like we're starting to see within the Dems, a left-right continuum? Will you see that in the Republicans? Um, Will a Giovanni Ferocci type of voice be kind of the left side of the party and a Trillo on the right side if he were to return? I believe in a two-party system. And I think we should have more Republicans. You know, I don't necessarily, I'm an independent, but I think it's healthy for the system. Since forever, even going back to um, Lincoln Almond and Ron Makeley, there have always been almost inexplicable divisions within the Republican Party. And it has continued to be reflected, and it's continued to be reflected, especially within the legislature. And the, the, the kerfuffles that we've had in terms of Newberry, the latest one where uh, Larry Earhart, you know, sort of poked Joe Trillo. I mean, it's almost comical. Yeah. The problem is there's not a real clear division ideologically because so many Democrats are really rhinos. There's very mm-hmm. conservative Democrats that are come from old constituencies, and so they're in their place, but they don't really fit. They'd probably be more comfortable as Republicans, but they're not. Secondly, it's so hard to forge any kind of a cohesive message or a cohesive uh, group when you've got such rancor at the top. I mean, when you talk about Donald Trump and the kind of rancor that we're going to see big time after this election, uh, particularly if um, the Democrats take over the House, it's not going to be pretty. So there's no real force within the national party to even give legs or support or shape or encouragement to the kind of inevitable and continual bickering that goes on among Republicans at the state level. It's it's like, it's comical. But yeah. it, it is the way it is, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. Yeah. The other aspect of that is the extreme end of it. I was at the rally to resist Marxism on Saturday, and just the absolute maniacs that are, um, you know, that identify as Republican, but also behave in a, you know, a bully-like, at best, um, manner and, and give several 
white supremacist groups were there. Several um, fascist groups were on hand. And these are people who are supporting Donald Trump. They're wearing Make America Great Again hats. So, I mean, within Rhode Island, you know, that's a small percentage of the population that actually feels that way. I hope. But so how do you build on a party that that's, you know, you've got these gym class bullies um, out front as some of the most vocal people that aren't elected officials? You know, the thing is, there is uh, a cadre of dissidents. And here's my theory. It may be wrong. It's only a theory. There are a lot of people who are jaded, disappointed. Think of the, the tap into the Trump uh, ideology. They think they've been left behind. They haven't gotten as far as they hope they can. And in fact, I think it's more about Getting in, the, getting in front of the state house and blowing off their anger and resentment. And I think for many of them, it's less about the issue and it's more about being there, being able to come in and say, we're here and we matter. I have a colleague from the media who was at the, um, the, gun, the, you know, the gun resistance kind of thing, the yep. pro-gun lobby when they were having all that gun stuff. And the, uh, re- the pro-gun people had these yellow T-shirts on. Right. And he went around and he asked a lot of the protesters, well, what do you think about guns? And they said, well, I don't have a gun. The idea was they were gi- they're given a voice. They're given recognition. So a lot of that comes in a very incoherent way. And an understandable way in the sense that, don't forget, we were lowest in the recession. Loads of people lost their jobs. In a way, there's a a piece of Rhode Island and a Rhode Island constituency that represents disaffected people in the Midwest, in West Virginia. They're here. And this is what they're doing. And I think it's less about an obvious position and more about a kind of internal rage that they feel that they've been left behind. They see a place where happily immigrants can come, be prosperous, uh, build lives, build businesses and so forth. And they really feel as if they've not been paid attention to. So it's, it's that kind of resentment more than a specific issue. I think that generates this kind of backlash. Yeah. The crowd of counter protesters were chanting at one point, why is your heart so filled with hate? You may have just explained the answer to that, that they may not even realize why they're up there. I think that's, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, my last question would be, you're now, one of the senior political scientists in the state. Um, you're all over media. You're, you're, you're a big shot in this world. What's that position like? Well, first of all, I'm not a big shot in this world. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm less of a big shot now because I think there are wonderful young people coming up doing commentary, reporters and things like that. I have just uh, technically retired from URI, although I'm still teaching down there. Hmm. And I think, um, I think there's a load of people out there that have lots to say. I enjoy what I do when I do it, uh, but there's room for a lot of other people, and I'm happy to let them be part of the game. Hmm. So um, we have a great media environment, uh, very aggressive in a positive way, and by having a lot more outlets, something like yourself, where people can raise different issues, you don't get a kind of standard mentality. Hopefully what we get, there's a couple of instances where I could argue that a couple of key media people sort of weren't interested in something and shut down an issue. That doesn't happen anymore. Right. I mean, it's, unfortunately, we get all the stories about Alan Fung and his, you know, these kind of fights that they had years ago. But nonetheless, it does open up the environment. And I think that's a very healthy thing. 
Professor Moakley, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. I love being here. Thanks so much and good luck to you. Thank you so much. As always, thank you for listening to the Bartholomew Town Podcast. If you'd like, follow me on Twitter at Bill Bartholomew. Until next time, we'll talk soon. 